as we invite the Lord's presence to be with us. Father, we come before you as nothing more but dust. We are in dire need of, of grace. We are in dire need of your Holy Spirit to, to move in this place. We, we ask you, their Father, to be with us today to make the word of God plain. We invite Jesus to be present with us, and we pray that as the speaker speaks, that he may be hid and that Jesus Christ may be seen. We thank you so much for this great promise that is given in your word, that you will give us the word to speak. And we ask you, Lord, that as the Bible says in the book of James, that you may give us wisdom, for we do lack wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen. Amen. Today, I want to talk to you about something that has changed my life. And that is prayer. I know you believe in it. I know you practice it regularly. And that's what we started the day with as we prayed for our children. Prayer is important. I found myself in various situations that demanded prayer of me. The first time I took my driving test, it was a, a very interesting experience as I walked up to the car and opened the door and sat in the driver's seat. And you know how intimidating it gets when the instructor joins you on the other side with a, uh, what do you call those things? Uh, clipboard. A clipboard in his hand and he sits beside you and he gives you the look. Please don't kill me today. I remember how nervous I was when he sat in that seat as I started going over in my mind all the things that I had read and all the things that I practiced. And he said, headlights, please. And I turned the indicators on. <laughs> I was so nervous. I was so nervous that I decided to do something that I tend to do often. That is to, whenever I feel overwhelmed by nervousness, I start telling jokes. They don't always work. Because these jokes that I was telling the instructor was dry, they were dry ones. They made no sense to him. As he sat there and listened to Jermaine telling jokes, he just looked at me with, are you really serious right now? Just drive the car, please. <laughs> but prayer. I remember praying and asking the Lord to help me to pass this test, and yes, I passed the test, and praise God, I'm driving today. Prayer is important. Noah prayed and there was rain. His family was saved after the flood. Abraham prayed and God saved Lot and destroyed Sodom because there were no other righteous men to be found. Elijah prayed and not only did he shut up heaven that there be no rain, but fire came down from heaven in the sight of apostate Israel. Daniel prayed and ferocious lions became tame cats. You see, God is a divine whisperer. Jonah prayed and a fish listened to God and became a means of transportation for a wayward messenger. God used what I call a divine Uber. <laughs> Jeremiah prayed and God listened to his lamentations and spoke sweet responses to an almost depressed prophet. Jesus prayed, food multiplied, the dead was brought back to life, 
And as he clutched the grass in the garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, not my will, but thine be done. On Calvary's hill, the clouds enveloped the sky. Dark clouds enveloped the skies. He spoke his last words in prayer. It is finished. Jesus, our great intercessor. No matter your ethnicity, your cultural background, your status in life, whether you be rich or poor, prayer is important, isn't it? Whether you be young or old, prayer is still needed. And sometimes prayer is not, is, is, is not prayed voluntarily. It's forced from our lips as we find ourselves in situations that demand prayer of us. God, please get me out of this because I can't do it on my own. No matter where you are, prayer is important. No matter your posture, you may be driving down the road and all of a sudden something takes you by surprise and in that moment you pray. You might be at home and an argument ensues between you and your spouse and before you say those first words, you ought to pray. Please do so. You may be at work and it's a long, hard, terrible day and your boss comes in with an attitude before you say a word, remember to any other response might get you in trouble. Yet, in as much as we are to pray for ourselves, we must also count it a necessity to pray for others. Mothers and fathers especially. Pray for your children. Pray for your children. Your prayers avail much. You ought to be on your knees constantly for these children. Children, let your requests be made known to your parents and to your God. There was a church service that was interrupted in the south by a young boy who was behaving badly during the service. This, of course, made his father upset, who after trying to calm his child, started who, after trying to calm his child, the child started acting worse in the service. And you can imagine how awkward this would be as you're sitting down and watching this father trying to hush his child who was acting up in the service. The congregation grew quiet as they realized that this situation was getting more and more intense. Be quiet, but he would not listen to his father. In his anger, the father got up, took the hand of the child, and things got even more awkward. He took the hand of the child and began walking towards the back and opened the door and was about to make an exit, exit and things even got more awkward because he was talking sternly to this child. Things got so awkward until the child looked back at the congregation and said, y'all pray for me now. He made his request known. As a pastor, I understand the importance of prayer. And recently, I've been practicing and asking the Lord to be with each and every one of you in this congregation. I started something that I would like to keep up. Please pray for me. Because every single morning, I try to get up early enough to spend adequate time in prayer for each and every one of you. And I try to mention you by name. So if there's a request that you want me to pray for, just send me a text and I'll pray for it. Because I really believe in the importance of prayer. 
And I know that some of us need prayers more than others. Not saying that anyone is worse than the other, but that we all need to be before God constantly, don't we? I've been spending some time studying the journey of the Israelites from the land of Egypt to Canaan, and thus our scripture reading today from Exodus 32. Moses had a congregation. Stephen in Acts chapter 7 verse 38 calls it the congregation in the wilderness. This was Moses' church. And if we were to say that there was a church that had problems, it was this one. It was a mega church that Moses was leading from the land of Egypt to the promised land. Moses was their pastor, and it was a huge struggle. He had a job that I in no wise envy. This congregation complained a lot. No matter what Moses did, they complained. But Moses had his moment with Christ, with God, as he prayed for them constantly. His ministry was sustained by God, and it had to be, because this church was trouble. They behaved so badly at times, and at one point, the meekest man on earth gave way to anger and almost lost his way. And so, yes, I've been spending some time. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. Now when the people saw, page 98, that Moses delayed coming from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Despite all the miracles and all the providential leadings of God, the church in the wilderness did some crazy things, to say the least. You know, there were some who did nothing else but complain. They didn't like the manna that God provided at potluck. They didn't like the sermons that Moses preached. They said, uh, listen, man, all you preach about is the law, the law, the law. They got tired. They didn't like the journey that they were taking from Egypt to the promised land. Are you and God planning to kill us? They said at one point. There is no water, Moses. We need to fix that. Where are the elders? They especially didn't like waiting for anyone or for anything. Not on God and especially not Moses. And so Moses had taken a hike up Mount Sinai and was having a special meeting with God. It was at this time that God gave the Ten Commandments engraved on stone. The preacher did not explain how long the trip was going to take. He didn't know. And so Moses entered the dark, thick clouds, and the people gazed at him and Joshua as they faded in the distance. And Moses was there for over a month. Day two, day one, day two, Day three, no sign of Moses. Day five, 35, no sign of Moses. And so the people got upset. The people got tired of waiting for this man, and so they went to Aaron. The Bible says when they saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, they came to Aaron and said, come, as in get up, make us gods 
that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, we have no clue what happened to him. Can you imagine that? And so they did. The plan was devised. Aaron suggested that they bring their jewelry, which they brought, in, brought from Egypt. Everyone brought what they had, and they fashioned for themselves an idol. Aaron tried to explain the story later and said, we got all of this stuff, put it together, cast it into fire, and voila, a calf came out. But we know that's not how it worked. And so this calf was constructed, carefully constructed, and they worshipped it. The church in the wilderness. Worshipping something that was fashioned by their own hands. You see, this calf was not by accident. It was by design that they worshipped this calf. This was a familiar symbol in Egypt representing the god called Apis. This calf was the god, the god of nature and of fertility. And so the children of Israel were worshipping an Egyptian god. The congregation was sinking low very fast as they worshipped and had this feast, this festival. And by the way, this festival was not anything that you would want to see. For the Egyptians believed in this idea of fertility, so much so that they worshipped any and everything that had a symbol or sign that had to do with this. This involved sensuality and loathsome vices that cannot be discussed in this mixed company. And so the children of Israel had lost their senses. They were partying right below the mountain where God was speaking with Moses. The cloud was still visible in the distance. But here they were down below doing whatever they wanted to do. They said God was invisible. Therefore we ought to do our own thing. Moses could not be found, so therefore we ought to make for ourselves another God to lead us. And so they made for themselves a golden calf. Idolatry is as prevalent today as it was back then. For what gets your principal attention and affection is to you an idol. If God is not first, then we are in trouble. And so Exodus 32, verse 7, the Lord was upset with the whole deal, and rightly so. For his people whom he has brought has now changed the story to Moses having brought them. We know what happened when they left Egypt. The Red Sea was parted, wasn't it? And it was who who parted the Red Sea? Was it Moses or was it God? Moses had no power. Exodus 15, they sang a song rejoicing, knowing that God was the one that was in charge, bringing them from the land of Egypt to the land of Canaan. But Exodus 16, they complained about water. Isn't that the Christian experience? God, yes, you are so amazing. You brought me here. And God, what is wrong with you? And so Exodus 20, they received the Ten Commandments. And we're in Exodus 32, not too far away. And here it is, they broke the very commandments they had received earlier. They made for themselves a God 
And so the Lord was upset because of what he was seeing down below. And he brought it to Moses' attention. And so the Bible says, and the Lord said to Moses, go, get down. For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Whom you brought. God's language is very fascinating. We'll get into that a little bit later. They have turned aside, verse 8, quickly out of the way, which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Verse 10, Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. What a pledge. What a promise. What an offer. God had already made a decision, and he invited Moses into this decision-making. What a test, though. Would Moses choose for his misery to end and allow God to make him a great nation? Was Moses going to follow up with this request and let it be what it might, let it be that he received what he might have deserved in that moment? What was Moses going to choose? Would he trade in the difficulty of leading this congregation from, from Egypt to the land of Canaan and traded that into the comfort of God's will? The pain traded in for relief, the discouragement for peace. But no, no. Not Moses. The word let me alone literally means Moses, let's talk about it. Let's have a discussion. It's an invitation for Moses to intercede on behalf of the people. In other words, God was asking Moses for, for permission. Fascinating, isn't it? God was asking for Moses to get out of the way so that I can do my thing Allow me, let me alone so I can go. And I will make of thee a great nation. But Moses was not about to make that choice. Moses, in his mind, was ready to persuade God to save. And so Moses began speaking. And the Lord said to Moses, verse 9, Now I have seen this people, and indeed, it is a stiff-necked people, stubborn, hard to work with, hard to govern. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. But Moses, verse 11, pleaded, pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought? Moses brought it back to God. Let us get this straight. You brought them out of Egypt. I didn't. And that is definitely what pastors should do. God, this is not my church. This is yours. God, parents, this is not my child. This is your child. I've often heard mothers in their anger, say, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. <laughs> Please don't say that. 
But rather, God has brought this child into the world and has blessed you with that great privilege to intercede on their behalf. Now, therefore, let me alone. But Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great what? Power and with a mighty hand. Two things that Moses did not have. Power and a mighty hand. Only God has those things. Persuade God to save your stubborn children. Persuade God to save your stubborn friend whom you've been praying for for a long time because you have no power to change the human heart, but God does. Persuade God to save that person you've been praying for for a while, knowing that God has a mighty hand and power to deliver that person from what they're experiencing. Doesn't matter how stubborn, God can deliver. If God brought this congregation from Egypt, he can bring any person to his promised land. Moses would have probably responded, yes, Lord, they are stubborn, but remember that you are the one who brought them out of Egypt with your great power and a mighty hand. Moses developed three arguments, and that's one out of three. In Moses' persuasion, he reminded God that he wasn't the one in charge, but he, meaning God, was. That he wasn't the one who had power, but God was the one who had it. The second thing that Moses said in his argument to persuade God to save was, Yes, Lord, they are stubborn, but what will the Egyptians think about your actions? Verse 12. Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Moses reminded the Lord that in the presence of others who are looking on in this story, that they would get a wrong picture of who God is. And so we pray as we intercede on behalf of others, Lord, your name is at stake in this story, not mine. Your glory is at stake in this story, not mine. So our burden is not to try to fix people. Our burden is to pray that the one who has power and a mighty hand might fix them. Our burden when we persuade God to save, is to say, Lord, they are yours and not mine. Not only do you have the power to save, but what will others think if you don't intervene? What will others think if you don't intervene? What will the Egyptians say if you destroy them? Stories told of about, a, about a man whose daughter got pregnant out of wedlock. She came home, and he told her, you made your bed hard, lie in it, but you're not staying here tonight. Pastor caught wind of the story and went to the house to visit the man and said to him, brother, what if God told you that? 
What if God said to you, you made your bed hard, lie in it. Where would you be today? And in this anger, he relented and invited his daughter back in. And a family was reunited. Because a man was reminded that God is in control. The last thing that Moses used in his argument to persuade God to save was a promise. Verse 13. Moses reminded God, remember Abraham, Isaac, and who? Who are we talking about? Israel. Your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. Moses had three arguments. The first one to persuade God to save was remember that you are the one that have all the power. I have none. Remember also that others are looking on in this story to see what your actions will be. And lastly, remember that you promised to take them to the promised land. No matter how stubborn these people were, Moses understood that in this account, his test was to make sure that he was thinking like what God was thinking about. Because even though God was saying, let me alone, God's intention was to save the whole time. What if Moses had chosen, Lord, let me be a great nation and let's wipe them out. How would this story read to you? But we understand that Moses stood in between the people and his God. Moses intercede on their behalf. Moses' prayer was directed to God himself, reminding God of his promise, reminding God of his power, reminding God of what others would think. The only reason why Moses could do this was because he knew God. When you intercede on other people's behalf, you have to know who you're talking to. Otherwise, you would be ignorant of his promises. Otherwise, you'd be ignorant of his concerns. And otherwise, you'd be ignorant of his power. In order for a man to successfully intercede on behalf of two people, he must be familiar with both. And wasn't Jesus like that? Jesus, the great intercessor, took on the form of humanity so that he could be like us to save us from sin. But not only that, Jesus was verily man, as if he were not God, but verily God, as though he was not man. So he was acquainted with both. And Jesus, our great intercessor, still pleads on the behalf of this congregation in this wilderness of a world. And so he pleads, Jesus is familiar with our stubbornness. Jesus is familiar with our rebellion. Jesus is familiar with our frame. And he could sympathize with us. And as he pleads on behalf of us, he enters the cloud, the presence of his father, and says, Lord, remember, you promised. You promised that those whom you have given me will be with me throughout eternity. 
You've promised that those who come to you, you will in no wise cast out. You've promised that God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That wayward, wayward child who would not cease to keep you up at night. That stubborn son who would break all the rules and make you worry as to whether he's going to live. The power of God can save. The reputation of God will not allow a pleading saint to go unanswered. He listens to our prayers. It is not that God does not hear our prayers. It is that we don't share our hearts with him. It is not that God does not hear our prayers. It is because we don't pray with the knowledge of him. It is not that God does not hear our prayers. It is that when we pray, we pray only selfish prayers. And so we ought to open our hearts to God even more. And if you haven't been praying, I encourage you to keep praying more. Because in talking to God, you get to know a little bit more about yourself and you get to know a little bit more about the God you serve. This relationship with God cannot be a one-way street where he only communicates with you and you listen and say nothing. If that were the case, a lot of us would be miserable. If we came to church on Sabbath and you said, hi, happy Sabbath, Pastor Jermaine, and I said, and nothing else. And I do that to everyone in this congregation, you would immediately leave and say, don't go to that church, that pastor doesn't talk. <laughs> but isn't that how we treat God? We show up, we say, Lord, please give me, give me, give me, <laughs> give me something else. But we seldom listen. We don't allow him to speak. We get up in the morning and we say, Lord, please bless this meal as I go to work. Bless me at work today. But we don't allow him to speak. And so we leave with our busy lives and we don't pray. We don't pray for ourselves as much and neither do we pray for others. And as Moses pled with the Lord, for his congregation, I endeavor to plead to the Lord for you as well. Not saying you're stubborn. I don't know. But I do pray for you every day. I try to. Hebrews 2 verse 17, Paul writes about Christ. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Aren't you happy that there is another man who stands in the presence of God, pleading on your behalf and on mine, on my behalf? Aren't you happy that there is a man, even though we're still navigating these, this tricky wilderness, there is still a man waiting, pleading on your behalf? Please, never say, because Jesus delays to come back, let me make a God for myself. Please, ask the Lord to open our hearts to search, find him. For the Lord himself had promised to, if you search for me with your whole heart, you will find me. And we can find him. Turn with me as we close to the book of Psalms. Psalms 103. David recounting the story 
gives us some, a reason to praise the Lord. And now it's time to have you participate in this prayer as David prays it. Psalms 103, I'm just going to invite you to say as a congregation, the first part of this psalm, bless the Lord. That's all. And I'll read the rest. Let me know when you're there. Just say amen. amen. Let's pray with David. O oh, my soul and all that is within me, bless his holy name. O oh, my soul and forget not all his benefits. Read the first part. All your iniquities, who? All your diseases, who? Redeems your life from destruction, who? You with loving kindness and tender mercies, who? Your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles, the? Executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed, he? Known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel, the? is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. And let's slow it down. He has not dealt with us according to our what? He has not dealt with us according to our what? Sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Aren't you thankful for a merciful God? Aren't you thankful? And that's the reason to bless the Lord because he has not treated us as we deserve. But he himself has not dealt with us according to what we deserve, according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Verse 11, for as... For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I am so thankful and when I pray to God, he knows me. It makes a whole world of difference when you talk to someone who knows you. When you talk to a stranger, the conversa conversation is not always the best conversation. You may say a few things on the surface like, how's the weather today? And they may say, you know, the weather is good. Or you may say, so how are things going? Things are going well. But when you're talking to a friend, you talk about way more than just the weather. You ask questions that are pointed, calculated to talk about real issues. That's what God is like. God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He does not treat us according to what we deserve. And so when we approach God in prayer, we're talking to someone who loves us so much that he overlooks, in a sense, as he forgives when we confess. Confess our sins, he's faithful and just to do what? Forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Persuading God to save. I believe to this day Jesus is still persuading God to save you and I. 
I believe to this day parents are still persuading God to save their children. I believe to this day that pastors are still praying and asking God to save their church. But I pray that as a congregation you may pray and ask the Lord to save someone beside you. I invite you to think about someone that you can pray for this week. And make a commitment to the Lord that I am going to enter that cloud as Moses did. I am going to enter the presence of God and I am going to plead and persuade him to save this person. Because he will not turn away a praying saint. One person once said that a saint on his knees is more powerful than a king standing tall. And that's true because a praying saint taps into the power of heaven. Prayer is important, isn't it? Noah prayed. Daniel prayed. Abraham prayed and Elijah. Jeremiah. Jonah. And Jesus. I pray too. And I invite you to make a pledge to the Lord to pray more. I think we can always talk to God more. Would you join me in making that pledge to God by standing, indicating that from this moment on, you want to engage in a more purposeful, prayerful life Amen. as you go on in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Pray for our kids. Pray for our church. Pray for your families. Pray for your friends. And pray that the Lord will save. I'm tired of this place, aren't you? We need to go home. I keep saying that over and over. You'll hear it again every time I preach. Because I want to remind you that this is not our home. We need to get it right so that we can finally have worship in heaven. I can sit down and listen to Jesus preach. That's the sermon I want to hear. And I want all of you to be there, every single one of you, even those online. And we can. I'm just tired of this wilderness. So please, this week, if there's anything you've heard from this sermon, be more prayerful. Pray and persuade God to save. Amen? Amen? Let us pray together to close. Father in heaven, we are so thankful that we have an intercessor who invites us into the very presence of God to speak. And how dare we speak? For we of all men are sinners. What can we say to a holy God when we know that in our hearts there are so many things that are holding us back from you? What can we say to a holy God, Lord, when we know that we are but sinners, but yet you invite us into your presence, into your throne room to talk to you? What a great honor. What a great privilege. I pray that in this moment, Lord, that as everyone is standing, that you may remind them of the power of Jesus to save. If there's one person thinking here that they are beyond redemption, I ask that you speak to their hearts and help them to realize that they still have a great intercessor who is pleading on their behalf. And I pray that if there's anyone who feels a distance between them and you, 
That in this moment they may confess their sins and come before you with boldness, knowing that you're ready and able to forgive them. Father, I pray for this congregation, for those online. We ask you, Father, that you may be with them. We ask you that also you may forgive their sins and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. Cleanse all of us, Jesus. We, want to re we really want to be in heaven with you. We love you, Lord, not because of any other reason, but because you first loved us. And even when we were enemies, you died to save us. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for all of what you're doing for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen. Amen.